You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. We started a new series called Sunday School. These are removable figures. And um, if any of you are 40 and over, you're very familiar with felt boards. Um, This is what we were taught on as kids. (laughs) Um, How many of you have no clue what Sunday school is? Oh, well, most of you. Okay. Just want to need to know my audience. But um, Sunday school was, man, what we went through as kids and, and learned about Bible stories. And I don't know how many of you have seen the Instagram reel of Pastor Kendall and Ashley Bennett. So the voices, the kid voices on that video are our pastor's kids, which is adorable. They're adorable. And um, you need to go find it. And if you have no clue what an Instagram reel, ask someone under 40. Well, no, under 45. I know, I know what an Instagram reel is. So you have to watch it. I wish I had the video to show you. It's hilarious. But how I see that video is what I picture when I was a little one. So we cover a lot of stories in Sunday school. We're going to be covering the stories here in the next four weeks. Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the whale, uh, Moses in the burning bush. And today we're going to focus on Jesus walking on the water. So we're going to go deeper than you normally would, maybe in a Sunday school class, bring out things maybe you weren't taught as a kid. And find out why they matter and why they matter to you. So we're going to, again, start with Jesus walking on the water. And this story is recorded in three books of the Bible. So the book of John, the book of Mark, and the book of Matthew. So there in scripture, if you're not you know, familiar to church, there are four books of the Bible called the Gospels. And The other book is the book of Luke, and it's not recorded in the book of Luke because the other three were actually eyewitness accounts to this story. They were in the boat that we're going to talk about today. And so you can find those stories in John 6, Mark 6, and Matthew 14, but we're going to focus on Matthew today because he is the only writer and disciple that recorded Peter walking on water. And Pastor Gil already preached about it today, so we can go now. Um, I think he did. Did he preach about it in this, this service? Maybe he didn't. He may have ignored it because y'all are looking at me like, can we have no clue what you're talking about? And the other services, he told the story. So we're moving forward now. <laughs> I'm going to give you some context of what happens in Matthew 14. So just some stories that happen right before we get to the story that we're looking at. So the chapter starts out with John the Baptist being beheaded. It's a really tragic, gory story. Um, And Jesus learns about his friend that has lost his head because of his faith. And um, so Jesus is partly human and partly God. and, And both God and humanity has emotions. And he wanted to get away to grieve over his friend and process the death that John the Baptist just experienced. And he wanted to be alone to do that. But a lot of people decided that they wanted to follow Jesus. So thousands of people in Jesus's moment of grief were following him and he was trying to get away and pray. And I don't know about you, I'm good with people being around me when I'm grieving. I've experienced that this summer. But there are moments where I wanted to be alone and process my grief alone. And I could just imagine in that moment for me, if thousands of people would have known I was getting away to be alone and they just kept following me. I wouldn't have had the response that Jesus had probably. I would have been like, can you give me a minute? Just a minute. I just need a minute. But in scripture, it shows the character of Jesus and what he, what it says in scripture is that he was moved with compassion on the crowds and he healed all who were sick. 
That's who our Jesus is. So he was healing the sick. It was getting late in the day. The disciples were like, Jesus, we need to send these people home. They're going to be hungry. We need to send them to their villages. And Jesus says, no, we're going to feed them right here. And they're like, what? Uh, We don't have food. There's 5,000 men. Records say that there were approximately 15 to 20,000 people in attendance if you count women and children. I don't know about y'all, but even if you have a buffet, that's a lot. I can't wrap my mind around having to feed that many people. But Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them right here. And they're like, Jesus, we have five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. How do you propose we do this? And he said, start passing them out, boys. And Jesus does one of his biggest miracles where we see the fish and the bread multiply and it feeds everyone till they are full and there's 12 baskets left over, one for each disciple, which I think is so beautiful that Jesus thought of his disciples to feed. So they witnessed this spectacular miracle. They witnessed Jesus feed 15 to 20,000 people off of, off of loaves and fish and then enough left over for them to eat. And then we're going to pick it up in verses 22 through 33, and it says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter, love Peter, called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt in me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So a few observations here about this passage. Verse 22, it says, Jesus insisted that they get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, Jesus knows everything. He is God, fully God, fully man. Do you think that he knew a storm was coming? Yes, he definitely did. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything in time that is going to happen to every single one of us. And so, so often we think, why would a kind Jesus send his disciples out into the storm without him knowing that they were going to encounter this huge storm? Because he wanted them to encounter him and who he was and that he can calm the storms in their lives and that he could, he could be their peace in the midst of a storm and that he could speak to the wind and it would bow down. He wanted them to experience provision in their lives. And he wants the same for us. Now, he went to the hills alone to pray to the Father, but in Mark chapter 6, it says that he could actually see them. He was sitting on the hill praying, but he could see that they were in trouble, and so he had compassion, and he went down to, to save them, to, to be with them, and it wasn't that he was neglecting the disciples. See, it says in Scripture that he intercedes on our behalf all of the time. Every moment of every day, he's interceding on my behalf, on your behalf, He's praying for us. Jesus also knew that his strength came from being in union with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he needed to be in union with him, continue to be in union with them to continue to fulfill his purpose on this earth. 
the disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is more like a very, very large lake. Um, so it's not technically a sea that we would imagine. But sporadic storms were known to um, happen on the Sea of Galilee. And the winds are howling. The waves are crashing. It is 3 a.m. It is pitch black. They think they're going to die. It says they were terrified. Now, I would have been terrified as well. I know nothing about boating, and they did, but I would have thought we are going to die today. They were terrified. And how many of you know when you're a little bit scared, your mind kind of plays tricks on you? So last night, I stayed at home by myself, and I, I'm okay at home by myself. I do set my alarm, and, but I wake up to any little sound when Mel and my girls aren't home. So like, you know, 1 a.m., what's that sound? Oh, it's just students walking by. 3 a.m., what's that sound? Oh, it's just students walking by. 4 a.m., what's that sound? Oh, it's just students walking by. But, you know, like, I'm like, are they in the house? No, Lulu's not barking. She's a fierce seven-pound Maltishan. But she's okay, so they're obviously not in my room, you know. And our window faces the street. But my mind can play tricks on me when I'm just a little bit afraid. And they were full-on terrified. They were full-on in the midst of a storm, thinking they were going to die. So you can imagine how their mind we're going to worst case scenarios and playing tricks on them. So it's no surprise that when they see a man <clears throat> walking towards them on a body of water with his, only his feet, that they might think it's a ghost. So I, I've heard people tell this story and be like, oh man, how could they even doubt that was Jesus because they've seen him do all these miracles. And I'm like, well, the reason why is because they were fully human. They were terrified and their mind was telling them, this is a ghost because who walks on water? I would have thought the same thing, but Jesus, here's how he responds. Don't be afraid. I love that it says he spoke to them at once. Like he didn't wait. He didn't play with them <laughs> like Mel does with Emma. Like she's like, dad, like she gets so frustrated with him. He didn't play around with him. He said, they, he said at once, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Here's Peter's response. How many of you have watched the show, The Chosen? Oh, a few of you. Um, it's such a great show. Highly recommend it. Um, they take some liberties with scripture, but I, but I love it. And it, I love Peter in The Chosen. I love Peter in scripture because he's kind of erratic, like chops off people's ears when, they, when Jesus is getting messed with, you know. He is very human and denies Jesus three times when he's headed towards the cross. Peter's the one Mel talked about a few weeks ago where Jesus made breakfast with him after he was resurrected to reconcile to him and said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. He trusted Peter to build the church on him. But here's Peter. Love Peter. He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So my response is, what is Peter thinking? Like, the waves are still crashing. The wind is still howling. That hasn't stopped yet. It stops later. What is Peter thinking? And why in the world does he think he can walk on the water? Well, here's where I want to go into a little history lesson. I know how much of you love history. I, I don't, personally. <laughs> I love biblical history, though. So I listen to several podcasts that really focus on, like, the cultural context of Scripture. I have a cultural context Bible. And what I've found was just so fascinating and so enlightening to me in light of the story. And so Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And he had Jewish disciples. And this 
would have been a first century Jewish world, so a long time ago. The people in this area believed that God had spoken to Moses and given him the five first books of the Bible, so Genesis through Deuteronomy. It was the center of their lives. They called it the Torah. It was the center of their lives. The Jewish people arranged their lives around. It was the law they lived by and ordered their lives around. And most Jewish boys or girls around the age of six. Now, I want you to imagine when you were six or if you are a parent with a six-year-old. Imagine just with this with me. So you've either, you've either been six or you have raised a six-year-old. At the age of six, girls and boys start learning the Torah. By the age of 10, they would have memorized, memorized the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. Now, we have trouble memorizing one scripture. Amen? Like I'm saying, me too. By the age of 10, imagine yourself as a 10-year-old. And somebody says, read to me Deuteronomy 5, chapter three, uh, verse 3. And you can spat it off. They memorized Genesis through Deuteronomy. Now, part of this was their religious um, practices, they also took a lot of pride in it, okay? There was a lot of pride in it. At age 10, they would also imagine a 10-year-old, you being 10 or raising a 10-year-old. Not only would they know and memorize the scripture, but they would start apprenticing for the family trade. When my girls were 10, they were not apprenticing for any family trade. <laughs> I loved them. <laughs> they were not learning how to, you know, these guys are carpenters and fishermen, and they were alongside learning how to do what their family did. The best of the best of these classes would continue on with their education. They would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, which is the Old Testament Genesis through Malachi. Memorize every word. <laughs> By the time they were the age of 14 or 15, junior hires, they would have memorized every word. At 14 or 15, I was not concerned about memorizing every portion of scripture. So this is, again, a lot of pride, a lot of... Um, value found in this. And at 14 or 15, the best would continue to the next level of education. And they would go to a rabbi and apply to a rabbi to be his disciple. A disciple doesn't just want to know what the rabbi knows. He wants to do what the rabbi does. And each rabbi had his own set of scriptural interpretations. It was called their yoke. So when we read in scripture that Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he's talking about the yoke he carried as the ultimate rabbi. His yoke is easy. It's not burdened down with rules and regulations. But each rabbi had their own set of interpretations, his yoke. And as a disciple, you wanted to take that rabbi's yoke on you. You wanted to know what they knew. You wanted to do what they did. In fact, he would grill you so hard to find out if you really had what it took to become a disciple. And if he didn't think you could cut it, you were released to go focus on your family trade to go be a fisherman or a carpenter or whatever the family trade was, you were released at that moment. But the ones that that rabbi believed had what it took, he would say, come and follow me. Now again, these are 14 or 15 year olds. 
They would leave their families, they would leave everything behind, and they would go follow this rabbi and be his apprentice. They would learn what he knew, they would do what he did. They would follow so close to him that the dust that was kicked up off of his feet would be on them. They would follow so close to him that if he stepped in a puddle, it would splash on him. There's a saying that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. They wanted to know what he knew. They wanted to do what he did. Around the age of 30, they would begin their teaching. Um, I wanted the podcast I was listening to. They were giving this example that one of the guys saw a rabbi um, recently, like in the last five years, in an airport. And he had all of his disciples following him. And they followed him into the bathroom. <laughs> like, that's how closely they stayed to the rabbi. Like, personally, y'all don't have to follow me into the bathroom. Like, I'm good. <laughs> but, and I'm not a rabbi. But, um, but I'm just like, wow, that's how closely they would follow their rabbis. So let's pick it up in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, where Jesus begins calling his disciples. So one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers. So again, same sea that Peter and the disciples were on. They were getting tossed to and fro. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Note, they did not have a rabbi. They were doing the family trade. Jesus called out to them, come follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. Again, doing the family trade, didn't have a rabbi. He called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So here Jesus is around 30. He's starting his public ministry as a rabbi. He's the ultimate rabbi, but no one knows this quite yet. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the long-waited king that they've all been preparing and waiting for. And here Jesus is around 30, stepped into three years of teaching and ministry here on this earth. He sees Peter and Andrew, who don't have a rabbi, which means they were told at some point, you don't have what it takes. They were told at some point, you don't have what it takes, so go do your family trade. So when Jesus says, come, follow me, he is saying to them, I believe you can know what I know. I believe you can do what I do. I believe you can be likely, like me, come and follow me. And that is why they immediately drop everything they are doing and they go and follow Jesus because they've just been called into their moment. Once overlooked, now found. Once overlooked, now they get to follow Jesus, who they have no clue yet who he really is. Then you get to the next set of disciples, James and John. They're with their dad. That's a lot harder when you're doing work with your dad, right? And Jesus says, come and follow me. But it says at once, they immediately left everything they were doing and followed him again, overlooked, told they didn't have what it takes to continue on to be trained as a rabbi, but Jesus, the ultimate rabbi, the Messiah, the long-awaited king, chooses them. God always chooses people in scripture that are overlooked. So back to Peter. So when you think of Peter, tossed to and fro in a boat, and he is the one who says, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come and I'll walk on the water. This is why. He wants to know what his rabbi knows. He wants to do what his rabbi does. It's the other 11 disciples. They should have all said, Jesus, if it's really you, come and we'll walk on the water. 
But Peter is the only one with enough courage and the only the one with the strong enough strong enough desire to say, I really want to know what he knows. I really want to do what he does. And he gets out of the boat and he actually walks on the water. See, Peter is the only one who gets to, to bask in the glory of experiencing that miracle with Jesus. He's the only one of the disciples who gets to say, y'all, I walked on water. I stepped out in faith. I got out of the boat and I got to walk on the water like Jesus. I got to be like my rabbi. Then we get to verse 30. It says, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. Began to sink, save me, Lord. He shouted, really loud, I'm sure, like, save me, Lord. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt in me? See, I think I've heard this story again told so many times where we're like, oh, man, don't be like Peter. Don't be like Peter. Oh, Peter lost his faith in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't reprimand him for having no faith. He reprimands him for having little faith. It was a teaching moment for the rest of the disciples too of like, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the fact that I have called, I have called you. And therefore, since I have called you, you can do what I do. You can know what I know. See, I believe that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus but he didn't doubt Jesus himself. How do we know that? Because Jesus was still walking on the water. Jesus wasn't sinking. So why, why would he have doubted Jesus? I believe that like many of us and like me, we begin to doubt ourselves. We take our eyes off of Jesus for a minute and we begin to put more trust in ourselves than we do in our savior. We begin to say, who do I think I am? Why do I think I can do that? Or we have other people say to us, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do that? See, I believe Peter began to doubt himself. I believe he began to look at the winds and the waves and think, what in the world am I doing? But you know what Peter knew about Jesus? Is he was kind. He knew Jesus was a miracle worker. And that's why just as fast as he began to sink, he reoriented himself back in the gaze of his Savior, and he said, save me. And Jesus didn't wait. He snatched him up immediately, put him in the boat, and calmed the storm. It says in verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. This turns into a worship service. This is the first time the disciples had ever proclaimed Jesus as the son of God. So I believe that Jesus wanted to do this miracle to, to deepen their faith to reinstate to them who he was, but then to go further with it of, you really are who you say you are. You really are the son of God. He took a scary situation and took them further into relationship with him. And this miracle caused them to worship him. He proved bigger than their fears. And that's what he wants to do in our lives as well. See, Jesus says in scripture, in this world, you will have trouble. We live in a very, very broken world. We go through really, really hard things. 2022 was a really, really hard year for me. It was for me personally, and then just things we had to walk through with several of you in the room losing children, losing parents, all of those things. Like it was a hard year. But I can look back and I can say, Jesus was with me every second of that storm. 
Jesus met me in a way that I would have never experienced if I hadn't have gone through the storms that I did. I know his character more deeply. I know that he is more faithful than I ever could have imagined. I know he is more kind than I ever could have imagined. And were there times that took my eyes off of him and paid attention to the wind and the waves? Absolutely. But I had a gospel community around me. I had my own faith that reoriented myself back on no, who does Jesus say who he is? And what does he say he can do? And he stabilized my footing every single time. He is good. So what does this mean for us? Number one, in storms, the only peace is found in Jesus. In storms, the only peace is found in Jesus. It cannot be mustered up on your own. It can't be mustered up through drinking alcohol. It can't be mustered up by popping a pill. It can't be mustered up by someone else giving you peace or a high. It can only be found in Jesus. Number two, we can't truly know We can't truly know Jesus if we stay in the boat. Mel talked about this last week, just the intimacy that Jesus wants with us of truly knowing who he is and being known and being safe in that. See, out on the water is a storm. It's dark, it's windy, and there's problems. And so many of us try to control our lives so that we live in a bubble and we never experience a storm. But no matter how much protection you put around you, you cannot endure this life without a storm. You just can't. But if you choose to trust in Jesus, if you choose to know his word, if you choose to continue to come to church, if you choose to be in Bible study and be in godly community, when the storms of life hit, will they be hard? Absolutely. Will you misstep? Probably. But you will reorient yourself so much quicker that you would otherwise. See, as a young child, I was raised in church. My mom took me by herself until my dad was saved um, when I was around five years old. And um, and I always loved going to church. I loved being in church. I loved Jesus. I don't really remember as a young child the exact moment that I gave my life to Jesus because I just always really loved him. And um, at the age of 13, so those of you who are junior hires in the room, that's when I felt God call me to ministry. That's when I knew that he was asking me to set my life apart for him and to follow him into full-time ministry. And then high school happened. And um, I was in the popular crowd, but I felt like I had to continue to earn my place in that crowd. Like the popular crowd, any crowd, is a place you have to continue to earn your spot in. And I was co-president of FCA and leader in my youth ministry. And I was also in a really ungodly relationship. I had some really ungodly friends around me. I had friends around me too that had both one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and they weren't really a help to me either because they just wanted me to stay that way so that I I didn't make them feel bad. So my faith in high school, even though I knew I was called to ministry, was like, okay, I'm going to keep going to church. I am going to keep leading FCA. I'm going to keep doing all these things. But over here, I'm going to stay in this ungodly relationship that was destroying me. I'm going to stay in these ungodly friendships. I'm gonna continue to do these ungodly things. I'm gonna go to parties without my parents knowing. And my parents had no clue. They thought I was a perfect angel. I hit it really, really well, which is scary. And I kept hearing Jesus, Kim, follow me. Trust me. End that relationship. It's going to end up badly. Trust me. Can follow me. Can follow me. This isn't going to end well. Follow me. And it didn't end well. 
I ended up in a place I could have never imagined myself being in, that my parents could have never imagined myself being in, that my church and my friends could have never imagined me being in. Not Kim. And so at the very bottom is when I said, Jesus, I surrender. I graduated high school, was at youth camp, sitting in the back of the tabernacle in the West Texas heat. It's terrible. Like 110 degrees outside. <clears throat> and I just sat back there by myself and I, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. I've broken your heart. I've sinned against myself. My body has been damaged. My soul has been damaged. Jesus, I sinned against my parents. They taught me well. But Jesus, I know you're faithful. And I know you're good. And I know you are who you say you are. And I know you can redeem every broken part of me. And he did. Hey, when you step out of the boat, you get to know Jesus. I could have stayed in that lifestyle. I could have continued on and my life would look a whole lot different than it is today. But at some point, you choose whether you get out of the boat or not. You choose whether you get to experience who Jesus really is. John Ortberg says, if you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. Number three, when we follow Jesus, we can trust him to rescue us. Just like Peter, if we misstep on our journey, we reorient ourselves and we say, Jesus, save me. He picks us back up. See, you can even be a following Christian of Jesus right now and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's things that you're unwilling to get out of the boat for. Like you know that maybe going on a mission trip is something that God's calling you to, but you're so scared of getting out of the boat of comfort that you're staying stuck in it, afraid that he can rescue you if something happens, afraid of what can happen if you step out of the boat and you're missing out on everything he has for you. See, we have to be able to trust that he will lovingly grab us before we sink. These disciples followed Jesus knowing that they were going to lose their lives because of it. That's why a lot of disciples turned and went the other way when he began to teach on this. As they lived in a culture that was in pure opposition to who Jesus said he was. But by them stepping out of the boat and being willing to follow the ultimate rabbi, the Messiah, the savior of the entire world for all of humanity, they got to experience things that the other people never got to experience. See, I can't imagine what it would be like to live this life trying to stay in a bubble, in my Christian bubble, and saying, Jesus, I like you. I love you. How many of us play it? Like, I want, you, I want to go to heaven and that's it. But he wants you to experience him on this earth. And what I mean by this is there are so many people that take that step out of the boat and they experience God in that moment. I think of uh, Mercy, who's on our worship team. She's a, an international student from Kenya, and she's beautiful, and she loves Jesus with all her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and is a pastor's kid. And You know how it's a little intimidating to invite someone to church or to an event, especially if you know their, maybe how their raise is in complete opposition to Jesus. <laughs> she invited this girl, another international student from a country that is known for being in opposition to Jesus to Shia's conference in October. 
Mercy sent me and Steph a text days later and said, I have to tell you this story. I invited this girl, doctoral student, named the country. She's never been in a Christian church. And I invited her to She Is on the free night. She came. She loved the music. She loved the message. But she said to me when it was done, why hasn't anyone ever told me about Jesus before today? See, mercy, because she stepped out of the boat of that discomfort of being rejected, had an invitation to this girl who had never heard the name of Jesus. And she got to experience what a Christian environment was like. Those are the moments that we miss out on if we don't step out of the boat. Number four, worship is our response. It's really easy to bring the glory back on ourselves once we've stepped out of the boat and taken some great leaps of faith and maybe entered into some cool things that we're doing. But it's never supposed to terminate on us. We are not supposed to get the glory. In America, we're all about the applause. We're all about the good jobs. We're all about the yay me. We get upset when people don't cheer us on. We get upset when we don't get the likes. But it was the glory was never supposed to terminate on us. It's why we see famous, famous people self-destruct. Because the talent they were given was never supposed to terminate on themselves. It was supposed to terminate on God, their creator, who gave them those very gifts. So worship is always our response awe and wonder of who he is and knowing that number five, Jesus wants to do great things through us. He doesn't want us to live this life just getting by. He doesn't want us to live this life merely experiencing him. What he wants is when we get to heaven for us to look him in the eyes and be in awe of who he is, but then be like, Jesus, remember that time when I was 15? And I got out of the boat and I talked to my friend or I led that Bible study and I got to experience you show up. Jesus, remember that time when I was on a baseball team at IUP and I got to step out of the boat and I got to proclaim my faith and walk the walk and talk the talk and I saw you show up. Jesus, remember that time I worked at Walmart and I ministered to people as they went through my line and I made their day better. Jesus, remember that time that I ran a successful business, but I made sure that all glory went to you and no one had a doubt who I lived for. Jesus, experiencing life with you on earth was hard, but it was so cool. You can't experience that in heaven. You don't get to experience, yes, we will experience miracles 100% all the time because there will be no need for them in heaven. You only get to experience the miracles he has for you, through you here on this earth. You have all authority as Christ followers, if you are a Christ follower. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have all authority to do what he does and to say what he says. He's not... We're not Jesus, he is. But through our relationship with him, we can pray for people and they can be made whole. Steph did a missions weekend a few weekends ago and that morning a a girl from Overland Missions did a teaching on evangelism and people get really scared about that term and it's because some people do it really poorly. Like I've seen the people in our community that maybe stand in the Oak Grove or on the sidewalks that remind you that you're going to hell and they scare you into heaven. That's not what Jesus did. So if we want to do what he does and walk like he walked, we share them the good news of the gospel 
the good news of who he is. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So she was teaching on evangelism in a very healthy, beautiful way. And then talking about our authority that we have in Jesus Christ. And so she said, hey guys, we're gonna go now to the IUP campus. We're gonna go to the Indiana Mall that has five stores in it. We're gonna go to Walmart. And we're gonna go talk to people. And if we feel like we have an encouraging word for them, we're gonna go up to them and we're gonna say, hey, I really felt like I wanted to come tell you this. We're gonna do anything condemning. If we see someone that maybe needs prayer, we're gonna go up to them and ask them if we can pray for them. We're gonna go up to them and ask them if we can pray for healing for them. And I honestly thought that out of the 35 that were in the room that five would stay because it sounds a little scary and we've seen it done poorly. And Steph thought maybe five would stay. (laughs) And the leader of Overland Missions thought maybe five would stay. It's easy to do it on a missions trip because that's like you're kind of out of your comfort zone already, but in your hometown, it's a little bit harder, right? But all, everyone in the room, except for me, I went home to rest my back, which I'm getting close to needing to do now. They all went. And that weekend, all I heard were stories of, man, I prayed for this woman in the mall. She was healed. She couldn't bend her knees, but she could like do squats by the time we left. Man, we prayed for this woman who was really discouraged and she said, man, I have hope now. Hey, we prayed for this other woman who needed healing and she said she was healed. See, because those people were willing to get out of the boat, they experienced that Jesus wants to do great things through us. So the question is, will you be one of the 11 that stays in the boat? Or will you be like Peter and be willing to step out of the boat because you want to know what your Savior knows, you want to do what your Savior does, and you want to trust him with your life and follow him wholeheartedly? Maybe this means starting a Bible study in your workplace. Maybe this means starting a Bible study in your school. Maybe this means just going up to someone that you're terrified to talk to and just speaking life over them. It looks different for everyone, but the question is ours today. Are we going to be like one of the 11 or be like Peter and step out of the boat? Blairsville, I love you. I'm so honored to be your pastor. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Colin right now. I'd love for everyone in this room just to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching online, I'd love to just you to have a moment of solitude and quiet. And maybe you say today, Kim, I I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I've never made the decision to make him Lord of my life. And I want to do that today. Or maybe you once followed him. Maybe you did as a child or in your young adult years and now you're grown and you've lived your own life and lived your own way and you've decided today I want to follow him. I I want more than what my life has right now. I want want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to walk in freedom and wholeness. And I want to experience what Jesus experienced. I want to know him. I want to do the things he's called me to do. So that's you in the room today. And you say, Kim, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I want to become one today or I want... I was once one, but have gone my own way and want to come back to him. Would you just raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you this morning. Yes, I see you on the left. Yes, I see you on the left. You can put your hands down. Yes, I see you on the right. You can put your hands down. I see you in the balcony. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus. 
Everybody repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, you are the Son of God. Thank you for dying for me. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I ask that you make me whole. I choose today to follow you for the rest of my days. I put my hope and my faith in you today. And from now on, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate with those who made that decision today? Listen, we want to know about your decision because when you make that decision, you step then into community, which is the way of Jesus. We want to come alongside of you, give you the resources you need. And so if you'll let us know you made that decision today by texting the word Summit PA to the number 94,000, or you can fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and you can take that to the info center. If you need a Bible today, whether you made that decision or not, and you don't have a Bible, we have those out there for you. You just made the best decision of your life and it will not be easy. But that's why you have a family of God around you to come alongside of you and show you the way. And Jesus says, I will teach you how to fish for people. I will teach you my ways. For the rest of us, I'm not gonna ask for a massive response because I know that this word has spoken to me personally in preparing it. So our response right now as a whole is to worship him with awe and wonder and to respond however you see fit. So we're gonna sing one more song. That may mean that you feel called to come down here and kneel right here at the front, just as an act of surrender of like, Lord, I wanna follow you. I wanna really know you. Maybe it means you kneel at your seat or you sit at your seat or you stand and worship. Whatever you feel like your response is to this message, do it. I give you permission. There's nothing kind of crazy, but we love you more than you know. We're so honored to be your pastors. Let's worship him. He deserves it. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.